It's good to hear other believers' testimonies. It's good to hear from others to see that you're not alone when they have a similar testimony to you. Usually, when they say we're going to do a testimony like that, you hear crickets and nobody wants to give theirs and they're all scared. So tonight, y'all just ate up the time that I had, so I'll just go long. No, I'll, I'll keep it short. As I was telling Paul before I got up here, I did something new this time. This is the first time where I decided and prayed and thought about what I was going to do wrote it down, started making notes, and then after I went through it a couple of times, I realized maybe those last five verses, we don't need those. So I cut those out. Not for a count of time, but because they really just didn't fit in with the overall theme and the message tonight. And tonight we'll be in Acts chapter 5. So if you're sword with you, go ahead and unsheath it and go to Acts chapter 5. We'll be in the first 11 verses. We'll be looking at some people who didn't have the right heart. As we go through Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We'll go ahead and I'll read it first. And I'll have you stand for the reading of God's word as you are able. We'll go through Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 1 and stopping at verse 11. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart? to lie to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead. And carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. You folks may be seated. All right. So the context here, if we remember at the very end of Acts chapter 4, what had just happened with Peter and John. They'd done the healing in chapter 3 of a lame man, and now the high priests were upset, and they took them off to the side and said, Hey, look here. Y'all keep preaching about this Jesus fella. We're going to rough you up some more. Stop teaching. Stop preaching. Stop saying that Jesus is the way. Y'all know the law of Moses. That's the only way. Just stop teaching about this Jesus fella. But they couldn't really beat him up as much as they wanted to or kill them like they might have wanted because they feared the crowd that was there because they knew that the crowd had seen the miracle. They knew that the crowd had walked past this gentleman going into the temple and seen him there from the time that he was a baby in his mother's womb, he was crippled and couldn't walk. And now he was running up and down the aisles of the temple, praising and singing and giving glory to God. So they were now afraid of the growing early church because there was now more of them than there were of their team. And they were starting to get upset and they were starting to get scared. Their cancel culture techniques of trying to threaten them with beatings didn't work. And then Peter and John must speak at the end of Acts 4. And they tell them in Acts chapter 4, Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had heard, had further threatened them, 
they let them go, finding how they might punish, not how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. So they roughed him up. They told him to stop speaking about Jesus. They wanted to do more, but they knew they couldn't because everybody knew it. Even the council and the priests and the Sadducees knew that they couldn't do anything further. It continues on at the end of Acts chapter 4. And now everybody sees this. The Spirit leads people, and now they start selling off their possessions. Everybody that has something gives it to somebody who's in need, and nobody is for want. Nobody is without. Well, that brings us into Acts chapter 5 now, because now Ananias and Sapphira, they want to get in on the party, right? They want to get in on the, look at me, look what I did. I did something good for the church. Praise us. We did something awesome. We sold a plot of land, and we're going to give the proceeds to the church. At least that's what they wanted to tell everybody. See, they wanted to show off and say, look, we did the thing too. But they wanted to just kind of put their toe in the pool and see if the water was the right temperature. They didn't want to jump in wholeheartedly like everybody else had been doing with selling off what they had and giving a portion or giving it all. They wanted to just say, we gave it all. Pay no attention to this satchel right here full of money behind us. This is what we gave you, church. But that's not what happens for them. Because God sees your heart. Peter sees their heart. Peter knows how much the land was valued for. Peter knows how much it was sold for. And Peter is not fooled. And I think how of a big change that is for Peter as it goes through verses 1 through 11. We'll go back and read and see again as we go into chapter 5 verse 1 that Ananias and Sapphira were in this together. This wasn't just him going off or her going off on their own and going rogue. They were unified in this deceit. They were together their hearts were knit together to do something and defraud the church. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Right there, it lets us know in the first two verses. The gospel writer is sharing this with us. We see this. We get the context. We know what's going on. And we can see right away they're already hatched a plan to deceive the church. The couple had conspired to defraud the church. They were not fully committed. They're just like that person at the swimming pool, tipping that toe in. Maybe the water's right, maybe it's not. They didn't want to just jump in and give all they had or be fully involved with the church. They wanted to get the praise and the accolades and, the, oh, look what you did. You're just like us. But they didn't want to commit fully. Their hearts were in the wrong place. I realize at this point I have not prayed before I started, so let me go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you that you've given us this opportunity to come and study your word and look and see at the hearts of men and how our hearts are plagued uh, and how we would prefer the darkness over the light. And we thank you that you came down and gave us a route, gave us a path, took our sins away as the testimonies were given earlier this evening of how you gave us great peace and the ability to know that our salvation isn't in our works, but it is in what you have already done on our behalf. We thank you for that. We thank you for the cross. It's in your holy and precious name we pray tonight. Amen. Okay. So they're out there wanting to look good, wanting to have the same, hey, man, we're part of the team. We've done like everybody else, and we've given to the church. All just like everybody else did, but they didn't. They wanted to know what it was like to be in that group, but they didn't want to actually commit to being in that group. Verse 3, 
And just think about Peter as we go through verse 3 here. This is the same Peter that said, I'll go with you unto death, Lord. I'll chop up the guards and try to get you free. I'll do all these things until the, the rooster crows three times, right? Jesus tells him he's not going to stay true to his commitment, that he's going to fall short. And three times he denies Christ after Christ is arrested and brought before the council at night. Three times he denies him. And then he hears the rooster crow. But then now look at the redemption that Christ has given him has given him the opportunity to now be one of the leaders of the early church as people are converting and coming to Christ and going out. And he's being roughed up and counted it worthy that you're going to be persecuted for going out and spreading the gospel, the name of Christ. So think also about Peter's heart and how he was on fire for God, but then when he was pressed, he turned and covered his own hide. And now he's out and he's getting his hide tanned, and he's getting told, we're going to put you to death, and all these different things, and he's not backing down, and he still stands up and says, I'm not afraid of you. I fear God, not man. And he continues to go out and preach the gospel and then be in the church and be able to discern when someone else is doing a similar thing to what he did where they're saying that they've committed and they're all in, but they're really not. Verse 3, Acts chapter 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart? to lie to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back a part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And there it is. You have not lied unto just me, or the other apostles, or the members of this early church. You have lied to God. There are no secrets from the Lord. He knows you better than you know yourself. You get put in a situation where you can choose A, B, or C. The Lord already knows what you're going to choose. It's not a surprise to him. There's no, oops, I didn't see that blitz coming with God if he were the quarterback on your football team. There's no, oh, I forgot to study for the test. He knows all. He's all present. He is there, right? So Peter reminds Ananias that this is not just a lie unto men. You didn't lie to me, Peter. You lied to the Lord. You lied to God. Verse 5, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now, I thought this was kind of funny that this is where the Lord led me. We just had our missions conference. We just have our faith promise missions. You've got the cards in the seat back in front of you there. I told the pastor, I said, oh, man, people are going to think I'm going to tell them if they don't do their faith promise missions, they're going to be like Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> but that's not what... <laughs> That's not really what the, the context is here, because if you look at verse 4, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? Peter's saying it was yours. It was in your power to do with that money from the possession that you sold. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. If you would have come and said, here is 80% of the portion that we sold, and that's what you gave to the church, congratulations, hallelujah, amen, that's awesome. But that's not what they did. They gave a percent, they didn't give it all, but then they lied and said that they gave it all. The problem here was the lie. The problem here was their heart wanting to just have the accolades and be rewarded. Hey, good job, you did the same thing that we were all doing as we're coming together as a community, but they didn't do what everybody else was doing. They wanted to have serve God and themselves. They wanted to keep a portion back for themselves. And we see in verse 6, And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Now that's it for Ananias. He's gone. Game's over. And it's sad because he's going to be spending eternity 
in damnation, separated from Christ. When he had the opportunity right there. He was in the beginning of the early church when the persecution was coming and people were running out and still spreading the gospel while they were being chased out of town by Sadducees and Pharisees and the captains of the guard and people like Saul who would go and get the signet and say, here you go, here's your decree. You can go get them wound up. Go round them up. Get a posse and go get them. And while they did that, it spread the gospel faster than anything else ever could. And it's funny, if you read this, this history book, also known as the Bible, you see that the more the church is persecuted by government or other religious leaders that are in power, the faster the gospel spreads. And I wonder why that is. It's because it is the truth, and it's because people are seeking the truth. And when they see you fleeing from somebody trying to kill you, but yet you're still going to tell them, hey, they're trying to kill me because I believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and you still step out in faith and share that with other people when you don't know if that person might be from the same bent as the people that you're running from, that shows the mark of true faith. Ananias and Sapphira don't have that. And Ananias pays for it with his life. But he's not the only one in this conspiracy. A conspiracy takes more than one or two people to do something wrong, right? You can't just conspire all alone. If you are, then you're just, you know... Somebody has a tinfoil hat and gets kicked off YouTube, you get canceled, etc. Right? But this is an opportunity, again, for Peter as he's coming through and he sees this. And it's another opportunity for him to realize how far in the faith he's grown and how much more mature he is now versus when he was saying things like, I will go with you until death, Lord, and then turning his back when push actually came to shove. So I imagine for Peter in these moments as he's actually adjudicating this and letting them know that their lie has been found out, they're lying to God. What kind of emotional tug on Peter that must have been because he probably could see himself in Ananias when he saved his own skin by denying Christ three times, but yet the outcome for Ananias wasn't redemption. It was death right there in the moment. So that would be scary also for Peter to witness that and go, that could have been me when I said I would stay with you to the end, Lord, and I denied you three times just like you already knew, but I didn't know that I would do it because I thought I was all in, right? So there's more stuff going on here than just Ananias and Sapphira. And if you flip with me over to Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, we'll see some of this. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. It's also cross-referenced to Luke 21, but we'll stay with Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Because Ananias and Sapphira want to say, look at what we gave, look at what we gave, look at what we gave. Well, we've seen some people like this before, and Jesus spoke about it. Verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came in a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, teaching moment. Christ sees this and he says, here's a teaching moment. Just like when Peter sees Ananias drop dead and he's probably got an opportunity to think, I was just like that. I said that I would follow Christ and that I wouldn't deny him and then I did. And Christ gave me redemption and allowed me to be used for the ministry. He sees this teaching point, verse 43. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their, out of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. So Ananias and Sapphira came up and said, This is all we made off of this. But they were full of it. 
And Peter knew it. That's what the problem was. The problem was the lie. This widow here gives all she has. And she is given more than the rich people who out of their abundance throw in much, is what Christ is teaching his disciples here. He's using this as a teaching point to let them know it's not how much you give, but it's how much that you give means to you. How much of this is actually a sacrifice for you? Because if you've got excess money to just give and it doesn't hurt and it doesn't actually cost you anything, are you sacrificially giving? You're not. And that's the point that Christ is making to his disciples here. She gave the two mites, which is a farthing, and that's far more than all these rich people, even though they would fill the treasury up. She puts in those two mites, and that's more than they give. Right? He's using this as a teaching point. In Matthew 6, 19, we'll see another one. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. This is getting down into the heart of the matter, right? Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. I thought about not reading all four of the verses, but just doing a couple here, but we'll do them all. Lay not up yourselves, verse 19, this is in red in my Bible, you know what that means, this is what Christ said. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where the moth and the rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. There it is, verse 21. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. So you're going to value the things that are important to you, and those are the things you're going to do. Ananias and Sapphira valued that money more than they valued actually being a member of the early church, more than they valued actually becoming part of the early church. If they would have just said, hey, we sold it for X, we're giving you Y, and we still have a little bit just for whatever else they're going to do with it. Maybe they're going to invest it somewhere else. Whatever they were going to do with it, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. But if they had come up and said that, because we look at Acts 5, verses 3 through 4, when Peter says it was your own, it was in your own power, you could have given a portion, that's the way that I read it, is that you didn't have to come up here and lie and say it was all that you made off of your purchase. But where your treasure is, there your heart be also. So that means to me, as I look at Ananias and Sapphira, that maybe their hearts were in storing up wealth and holding on to money, like those old people with the can buried all over their yard. That's their retirement fund. They just love to have the money in excess, right? Verse 22 of Matthew 6. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You know, that was brought up by somebody this morning at Sunday school about the eye and then the treasures of your heart and where your eye is and how you can't serve God and mammon. You just can't do it because you will, as Christ puts here, you will serve the one and hate the other or you will go for one and you will despise the other. You can't be double-minded. You can only have one singular focus and that should be your singular focus, especially if you're in this church and you are a saved believer, should be to glorify Christ and to spread the gospel so that more people in this town and across the world will know that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. All right. So this is enough for rabbit trails. Getting into our hearts, right? Where is your heart? How do I know if my heart's good? God sees our hearts. God knows 
what our intentions are. I can have you all fooled. I can dress up real nice. I can shave my face and get all the little scruff off and look pretty and look the part, but my heart could be in the wrong place. And I'll tell you, I get more trial, tribulation, more struggle when I'm preparing to give a message or to teach up here than I do any other time of the week or the month because I think the enemy sees me and says, okay, now he's stepping out. He's going to go do something in faith, and he's going to go preach or teach. I'm going to come attack him hardest right now. He don't attack me when I'm sitting on the couch watching football yelling at the TV. He tries to come at me when I'm getting ready for a lesson or when I'm getting ready to teach, right? Because when we're not a threat, well, you don't mess with things that aren't a threat. If it's not a threat to you, you don't worry about it. It's there. But when you are a threat, that's when you've got to go and attack, right? You've got to get out there and put some uh, cover fire down for you military people. All right. Speaking of our hearts and how God sees our hearts, we can see that it's not just a New Testament thing. The heart is mentioned over 50 times in the Bible, and the man's heart and what we see and how we feel, and that you can see our hearts, and that's what God judges us by, not what we outwardly look like, but what we inwardly are, who we really are when nobody else is watching. So if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, you'll see that as we're looking at the end of the reign of Saul and a new king is to be anointed and picked out in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. The sons of Jesse are lined up, except for the one little one nobody really wants to talk about at first. But we're going to see Samuel gives us what the Lord looks at and what the Lord looks for. 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 6. And it came to pass when there were come that he looked on Aleb and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And if you know this and you're familiar with this passage, this is where David's going to be picked to be the next king. And he's the little ruddy guy. He's short. He's the shepherd. He's doing a job that is typically reserved for women. So he's really not the person that anybody would think out of all the tall, good-looking fellas that are in Saul's army that you could choose from out of the house of Jesse. Surely it's not going to be the runt or the pipsqueak. But David is a man after God's own heart. And we see in Samuel here that that's what he was to look for, looking at the heart. God sees the heart. And that's why David was chosen there. And it's also what we see, we're going to be back and forth in Acts chapter 1, verses 24, right as we're looking at who's going to replace Judas. Now we've got an empty spot. How do we fill it? What should we do? Acts chapter 1, verse 24, and they're figuring out who they should appoint. They whittle it down to two people, and they prayed and said, Lord, Thou which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Not thou, Lord, who knows which one is the prettiest, or the tallest, or the best speaker, or the smartest, but the heart. Which one of these two, you know their hearts, which one of these two should we choose by the heart? First Chronicles 28, 9 through 10. I hope you're picking up that it matters what you think while you're doing something, what your heart is set on. You can do a good work and have just a terrible attitude and not want to do it. And just kind of talked about this morning, Pastor hit on a little bit, that sometimes he tells his kids to go do something, and they go do it, and they have, doing, they don't want to do it, but they go do it anyway. 
God sees our heart. God sees what we are thinking while we're doing something. And if we don't have joy in our heart and we're not actually doing it to serve God and we're doing it for ourselves or we're doing it for some other reason, God knows. Everybody else in the world may look, oh, look at how sweet and precious this person is and what they're doing is so great. But in, inside, you may be just as dead as Ananias and Sapphira and you may just be doing it because it's got to get done and I don't care and you don't care if you do a good job. You're just doing it to get through the day so you can go home. We've all had days like that. But let's try to not have days like that. Let's think about when we're out working, we're a representation of Christ and other people see us at work or out in the store, whatever it is, and let's not lose our testimony for some small thing that we let take us over and we lose our head for a minute. In First Chronicles 28, 9 and 10, so we're getting Solomon is going to succeed David, and we have David's instructions for the temple. Remember, David wanted to build the temple. He wanted to be the one that rebuilt the temple. God said it wasn't for him to do. It was for Solomon to do. 28, starting in verse 9. This is instructions to Solomon. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart. There it is again, with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts. There it is again, all hearts. So the Lord searches. The Lord we saw knows our hearts. The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. So even David, who is a man after God's own heart, is letting Solomon know it's, in your, it's your heart. Your heart has to be in the right place. You have to have a heart for serving and a heart for the Lord. You can't just do this stuff because you want to check the little boxes and like Mike was talking about, I've done my works, I cut the grass, I showed up to Wednesday night, I showed up twice on Sunday, I'm good. That's not how this works. It's the heart that knows our intentions. That's what shows God whether we're really in it or not. And David's desire had to take a back seat to rebuild the temple and be passed on and let Solomon do it. So that must have been hard for David, but he still knows to let Solomon know, hey son, here's how it is. God sees the hearts of all men. He sees your heart. And that's what you need to have in the right place if you're going to do and serve and be a good king and follow after me. And if you look in 1 Kings 8, verses 38 through 39, we're almost done with the Old Testament. Almost done. Flipping back and forth. I know Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. This is Solomon in a prayer to God. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, I want to highlight. What prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hands toward this house. Toward this house. The plague of your own heart. Where's your heart? What is your heart? Where's your heart at? When these prayers and these supplications are going up, when you're saying these things, where's your heart? Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and do, and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. So Ananias and Sapphira's heart's in the wrong place. God sees our heart. God saw the heart of David. God saw that David wanted to rebuild the temple, but it wasn't his task. God assigned that to someone else. And even when David gave Solomon instruction and gave him, hey, this is what you need to do, 
pointed out his heart. When Solomon is praying for the nation of Israel and telling about the nation of Israel and praying to God, he's saying, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. You know our hearts. Our hearts are plagued. Our hearts are plagued with darkness, right? It wasn't always that way. Before the original sin, it wasn't that way. But after you're born into the flesh, you're born into the sin, I don't need to tell small kids, hey, do you all want some cookies? Here, I'll put two cookies on this plate for kid A, and I'll put four cookies on the plate for kid B. Kid B, if they can speak, goes, that's not fair. Why? Because I want to have the same amount of cookies or more cookies. It's not fair. Well, I only get two cookies over here, but that person gets four. That's not fair. Now, the other kid may not care one way or the other. Yeah, I got four cookies. See, I'm out. That kid may say, hey, well, this isn't right. Let's split up the cookies evenly. Or let's all not have cookies if we don't have enough to go around. But that's not how we are. Our first instinct is, hey, this kid's getting more than me. This isn't right. This isn't fair. And maybe that little fear of somebody else having more than me is why Ananias and Sapphira, this is first opinions now, this maybe that's why Ananias and Sapphira decided to try and hold a portion back from the Lord. Maybe they thought that they could get away with it. Maybe that was their plague of their heart was the love of money, which is the root of all evil, right? So, your heart matters. Where your heart is matters. And where your heart is while you're doing service for the Lord or you're doing just your daily routine, going through, getting to work, matters. I enjoy going to work because I drive up Military Street and I get to see Miss Cindy and some of the others out there for the little stand for the praying to end abortion. I honk the horn and I wave at them. And I have a good time with that. I like to see people out, and I know their hearts are in the right place. There may be some different denominations that are represented there, but they all have their hearts on that issue in the right place, at least to me in the way I read it. But people who don't have their hearts in the right place, Ananias and Sapphira, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Because you can be so earthly-minded to doing all these things and thinking you've got to go out and do, like Mike pointed out, Checking the box, checking the box, checking the box. There's all these different cults, all these different religions in the world where it is literally, if you do all these things, check all these boxes, you're going to have nirvana, you're going to go to heaven. That's not how it works. Because your heart can be in the wrong place while you're out there checking all the boxes. It looks like you're doing the right thing. You're saying the right things. You're wearing the right clothes. You're going to the right places according to them. But if you don't have Christ... You don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart and you're not out there serving with the intention of furthering the kingdom of God and letting people know that Christ is, was, and always will be the only path to salvation, then you're just as lost as the person that's sitting at home drinking beer, beating somebody up every other week in a bar fight. You're just as lost as they are. But Ananias and Sapphira are also lost. And we see Peter gives Sapphira an opportunity in verse 7, to get back to where the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira are. In verse 7, she comes in. It's been about three hours, if you read. And it was in Acts chapter 5, verse 7. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. So she comes in ignorant. She does not know that Ananias has died for lying about their land sale and their donation to the early church. Verse 8. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. Peter gives her the opportunity. He gives her the chance to come clean. He says, Did you sell it for this much? And that was her last chance to say, Actually, you know what? 
We didn't. This is just law enforcement kind of stuff 101. When you got something that's happened and you think you got your two suspects and you know they've done it, but you're trying to get somebody to confess you, you split them up, right? Well, she doesn't know what's happened, so she has the opportunity to come clean, but she doesn't. She continues on and says, Yay, for so much. Verse 9, Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. I can just imagine how disappointed Peter must be because he tried to give her an out. He gave her the rope. Hey, just grab it. It's how it sometimes feels when you're out evangelizing and you're sharing the gospel with someone and you've had a good three or four weeks of preaching with them or studying or whatever it is with them where you feel like you've really made the connection and they're starting to answer the questions in a way that you think that they get it and then ten years later they still haven't got it. And you just feel like, what am I doing wrong? And you start putting it on yourself. It's not on you. It's on them to reconcile in their heart what the Lord is putting on their heart. You've got to put it out there and show people with a good heart, with an earnest heart, that I care for you. I care for your eternal salvation. I care for your eternal soul enough to tell you something that you may find offensive. To tell you something that may get me kicked off Twitter or TikTok or whatever those other platforms I'm not on because I'm not 12. But that is the way of the old council when Peter and John were speaking and sharing Christ. Even in the ancient world, the beginning of the church, and what were they threatened with? We'll cancel you. We're going to beat you up, or we'll just kill you. Then you won't be able to speak. Here we are, 2,000 plus years later, and what do we got? Oh, you put out a news story or link an article, you'll get flagged. Your account will get taken down. You'll get a strike on your channel, whatever it is. The cancel culture will come for you too, but that's okay. As long as you're doing it in a joyful and your heart's in the right place and you're not just putting stuff out there to get reactions or to get people stirred up, which, uh, hello, pot, pot kettle black. Sometimes I get people instigated, as y'all may know. I may stir the pot sometimes, right? If that's what your heart is and that's what you're trying to do all the time, well, then you need to examine your heart and merely think about what you're doing. Now, I do it sometimes because I think it's funny. Also, I do it sometimes at work because... I need to see if I think this person's telling me a lie or not. And sometimes the easiest way to elicit a response out of them is to get them a little stirred up because then their lie gets unraveled because they're too busy getting upset and they can't keep their story coherent. Peter gives her an out. She doesn't take it. Verse 10, Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Gives her the opportunity. Gave even Ananias the opportunity. Was it not thine own? They had the chance to come clean, and they didn't because their hearts were tied to whatever it was with that money that they didn't want to give all, whatever it was they wanted, the praise or the accolades and the, oh, you guys did a great thing or you earned your sale was worth so much more than ours and you've given so much more just like when Jesus was talking to the disciples about the poor widow and her two mites whatever it was for Ananias and Sapphira's hearts they were in the wrong place and they did not come before the Lord with truth on how much they sold their land for they didn't die because they didn't give enough or they didn't give it all they died because they lied so where your heart is 
That's where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. Their hearts were in the wrong place. I've probably said heart more than 50 times because I want you to get that tonight. But when we search our own hearts, we see indeed who we are. We see who we are when nobody else is around. And we see that we indeed are in need of a Savior. Because if we were left to our own devices, we would all just be spending eternity in hellfire, separated from Christ forever. Aren't you thankful that it's Christ and Christ alone that saves us, not the works like Mike mentioned that he was when he was an early on his way to finding Christ, that he thought he had to check the boxes, or as a pilot, army person, you know, I'm checklist everything, right? We're going to make sure we got all the stuff, we make sure all things are switched on. Okay, now we can go ahead and turn the fire on and turn the fan, right? We've got checklists. That's not how it works. It's Christ plus nothing else. It's Christ alone. The debt has been paid for you on your behalf. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's mercy. And that's why, left to our own hearts, we need a Savior. And I'm thankful that that Savior is Jesus Christ. If you'll pray with me tonight. Lord, we thank you that you can use me in spite of all my failures and failings and the, the things that distract me from you, uh, even when I'm trying to buckle down and study a word to bring it tonight. I pray that the audience here heard it. They understand that our hearts, you see them. We can put on a face, a facade for society, for church, and play church better than anybody, but you know our hearts all the time, We're who we really are when nobody else is looking and who we really are when we're saying things to someone else. I pray that our hearts are in the right place tonight, and if they're not, I pray, Lord, that you help us, if our hearts are in the wrong place, to get our hearts in the right place. And we thank you, Lord, for taking our sins to the cross, dying, leaving the sins there dead, and being resurrected to walk on the earth and then ascend later up into heaven where you now sit and we await your glorious return. It's in your holy and precious name we pray tonight. Amen.